Hello, and welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast. I'm your host, Will Chernoff, and this episode is sponsored by Pearson Instruments. I haven't been to Brad Pearson's shop in a while. He's a luthier and guitar tech based in Vancouver, in the South Vancouver area, in the Marpole neighborhood. I spent a lot of time going to his studio this spring and heading into the Jazz Fest around that point, but I haven't gone to see him recently, and I miss him, but you know why? It's because he set up all my instruments so nicely that now they're all fully functioning. I can go out and do things again, and I'm not worried at all. I know that my instruments feel great. I'm excited to play them all the time. I'd love for you to get that same feeling. Maybe you're a guitarist, maybe you're a violinist. Maybe you have a guitar sitting around your house. Maybe there's one sitting around your parents' house. Brad can help you get it sounding and feeling great. And you can contact him, learn more about what he does at pearsoninstruments.ca to get your instruments feeling and sounding great. That's pearsoninstruments.ca to contact Brad Pearson today and take your string instruments to him. Thanks to Brad for sponsoring the show. This episode is also sponsored by 12th Street Sound. And I'll have some big announcements about what I've done at that recording studio right here in New Westminster very soon. Suffice it to say, I'm working on new music, just like I've been doing since before COVID even. I did a factor-funded project at the studio with owner and engineer Anthony Santorini. I recorded it in December 2019, ended up putting it out. One of the tracks on there become my most streamed song of all time to date as William Chernoff. I recorded again there in 2020 and again in 2021. And maybe that has something to do with what I'll be telling you about very soon. But you can make your music there too. Anthony's got a special deal for listeners of this show. You can access it by going to 12thstreet.ca slash RCP. Learn more about what Anthony has exclusively for you. And if you're doing some unique kind of project, you can ask him about that and he'll give you access to a special rate. So visit 12thstreet.ca slash RCP today to take advantage of a special rate for your next recording. There's just, there's always something out there that someone will grip onto no matter how extroverted or introverted or scholarly or meme-tastic it is. And that's what I love about this field. Making a new friend is one of the most exciting things about being on a music scene. Maybe you've been around the scene for a while and somebody new has come in. That's something like what I'm presenting for you today on the show. Or maybe you are that new person. What do you do? Where do you go? How do you learn about people you're going to meet in this music scene that you want to be a part of? More about that and about one person's journey through that up next. You're listening to the only weekly interview podcast about jazz and creative music in Canada. Our guest today is a singer. He is an American who has come to Canada. He has studied at UBC and he finds himself learning about the Vancouver jazz scene from scratch, meeting people as he's finished school and he's gone out to places like the Vancouver Jazz Fest where we encountered each other and became friends. He sings in the Vancouver Youth Choir. I'm excited to hear about what else he's up to and what he's seen along the way here. This is the most difficult conditions anybody has recorded the Rhythm Changes podcast in because it's so freaking hot. So please welcome to the show, Danny Najjar. Whoa, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Will. We are going to take breaks for sure. I am wearing two layers. I figured, you know, wear a collar because when you look your best, you feel your best. A bit of a double-edged sword, I realized, as I was walking down the road in the scorching sun uphill to the Will Chernoff residence. Oh, but uh, I feel like it's paying off now that I've been very hospitably given this iced lemon lime water with sugar. With, with sugar. sugar, going for it. That's the secret. 
So oh, Mike's picking that up. You sang with the Vancouver Youth Choir yesterday. Yeah. How was that? It was lots of fun. It was over at uh, Mount Pleasant, part of the Music on Main scene. It was just a pop-up totally for free. It was a great turnout. Super casual. Oh, it was okay. a very good time. Like, hadn't seen a bunch of those people in quite a while. So who are your best friends in the youth choir? How long have you been in it? I learned a little bit about it when we chatted, but walk me through your Vancouver Youth Choir journey. Oh my goodness. Well, my journey temporally is quite short. It's okay. been one year. But it's a good year. Oh, it's been a fantastic year. I mean, coming back from like the isolation of the pandemic and not knowing what was going to be still here for me when I came back to Canada, it was like, I could have come back and just been totally isolated. My, my biggest fear coming back from the pandemic and spending a year at home and having so many of my university friends graduate and go on their various journeys and all sorts of directions after four-year programs, I came back a little bit scared. Like, I was with my family. I'm like, this is safe. Do I really want to go back to Vancouver and pay to be isolated if all my friends are somewhere else or if everyone else is isolated? We're talking like peak lockdown era so when i came back it did feel like a risk but i ended up subletting with my dear friends carolyn paula and louise who were over in kitsilano thanks to my my other lovely friend kathleen off in california and we shared a spot together they were just talking all about the youth choir because they were all in the youth choir so naturally i just sort of absorbed it sponge-like way as you need to when you're going into education and before i knew it i just fallen in love with the idea of the choir i was auditioning made it in and it's just been off to the races from there like that group is a family by no exaggeration of the word i've been able to see so much and go to so many places and experience so much oh my goodness like the group music making after the pandemic was just euphoric oh yeah i can hardly begin to experience to express that i mean yeah that, it, it was a huge priority for me to get back into that to be here and it's been fantastic socially to exist with lovely human beings who are all very eccentric and at the same time, love some of the same things that I do. And have introduced me to so many new things that I now love. We have just, I spent the night at, at my friend's place the other night. We were playing video games and making silly voices with it. Great game. Later Alligator. It's an indie game. Highly recommend it. It's, it's hilarious. That's a good plug. <laughs> <laughs> not a sponsor. No, no, not a sponsor. We, we already took care of that. Um, yeah, I... I'm aware of the Vancouver Youth Choir through other people like Amber Sang, uh, who's been on the show and who has sang in it before. I've heard about some of the other events. I had Jancis on the show and he was going to go hear you guys, I think, the day that we recorded. He was oh. going in the evening to come hear you on Richmond or Delta or something. Yeah, that was the BCIT, uh, BCIT Unbound show. He was there. At he, like the Boundary Bay, the Arrow Airport. He was consistently yeah. the first one clapping. Sometimes the only one clapping. It was hilarious. Like there are certain, <laughs> <there's>, <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. I, chances is, oh my God, he's become a dear friend of mine as well over the past year, but he was not, not so much affiliated with the youth, youth choir as he was with the music education dual degree at UBC, which has been another community that I hadn't really tapped into when I was here pre-pandemic. Side note, the music education dual degree, the music and education, like two degrees at UBC, which was the program that I ended up going through. Mm -hmm. It does a great job of easing you into education from music. 
I think that's one of the highlights of its design is that it was designed to help you instead of just having like four year degree, boom, 11 month intensive. This is torture. And now I'm teaching all of a sudden. It's like, here's your degree. But instead of having specialization in performance or in music theory or in or in composition, you're integrated into education in those same ways. And and the electives from education influence music and the music influences education. So you end up with a education emphasis in your music degree and a music teachable in your education degree after five years. And so that's a great idea to have that blend, but due to things going online, by the time I came back, I was I was completely dumbfounded to find that all of a sudden all of my classes were education after having like all of my classes in music and i'm like whoa i found myself in this brand new friend group (laughs) of people lots of them from cap like amber saying sophia avellino jancis bautista uh madeline elkins um i'm there i could i could go on and on and on but i have found fantastic new friends from there and it's given me an outlet into the jazz scene from there i mean i met Will at the jazz festival after sliding into his DMs, as as one might say, and <laughs> yeah. uh, from there, Jancis and I just had a gig the other day, cheesecake, etc. Oh, you did that with him? Yeah. Okay, so I haven't been. This is a Friday night thing that I've been catching on the gig list, but I haven't been out to see this. It sounds like it's something a little more casual that he's curating, where he's playing duo with people sometimes. I yes. think there's been quartets there too. I don't know if that's the same night or a different night. But what is this thing? What is it like? Well, you'd get a better answer from Jancis because he is a proper like staff member of the Cheesecake, etc. Right. But um, from what I gather, he's been doing it for so long every Friday, he took it upon himself to bring in duos, split the bounty, as it were, and give, give more variety to the shows on Fridays. And he offered it to me. I was flattered to do it. I came over to his place. We went on a bike ride and got brunch and then just jammed for a bit. And we're like, yeah, we could do this. And then we whipped out some classic jazz standards, such yeah, as... Yeah, I was going to say, what did you sing? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Just the classic stuff. Castaways from the Backyardigans. That's a back, that's a, <laughs> that is the standard now. I wholeheartedly believe that. Lots of swing tunes, lots of bossa. It was nice on the DL. We tried to fade into the atmosphere, but the VYC people who showed up um, really, really made me feel like a superstar. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Well, how many, yeah, that's the thing about the jazz gigs, right? Is because that's not, that's not necessarily your background. Like you did the music program at UBC and then you went and you did this dual degree thing that so many people from Kaplan University's jazz program go and do together. These are the people that you've described meeting, but I didn't know you as somebody who had done a ton of jazz gigs. Had you done very many of those before you did this thing with chances? That's a fair assumption. I mean, just looking at the UBC jazz club on its own, it's easy to see that not many people go to UBC looking for jazz because... I believe I'm the, I'm one of two music majors in the UBC Jazz Club, which is very funny to me and very revealing, because that is to say that if you're going into jazz, you're probably not going to UBC since they don't have a dedicated jazz diploma right. or degree. And we've talked about this a little bit. Um, I still haven't actually met that other music major, so they might just be a fable. I might be alone in this. <laughs> it might but be just you. They're trying to If you're you out feel there, better. hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, before university... I did have, I did have a decent exposure to jazz and the scene in Denver, Colorado, yeah. which is where I'm from. I was a studied at Denver School of the Arts for middle school and high school, and became now the last five year member of the vocal jazz ensemble, 
at DSA, Denver School of the Arts. And uh, we did lots of gigs around. I mean, lots of like group stuff. Eventually, we started to take on some show choir stuff and sort of cannibalize the actual show choir at the school. Oh, because there was another one? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you mean by last five-year member? Well, they used to let in eighth graders. Oh. And then they stopped doing that. I think it was like a matter of... The music director left the year after I left. <laughs> okay. So basically the entire infrastructure of the program kind of... um changed drastically right after my class yeah and i'm not sure what it's like back there I've, I've visited a couple of times and caught up with a few people but now being five years removed from high school i officially don't know anyone who goes there that's a weird change of pace so we're here at the end of august so you came from denver to the province of vc in like september 2017 to go that's to school right. yeah that's my graduating yeah, yeah. year yeah okay so yeah you did sing some jazz while you were back there because you were in this arts I don't know what they call those kind of schools. I don't think they're as common in Canada as they are in the U.S., but like a school mm -hmm. that's dedicated towards performing arts, right? Yes, it's focused yeah. on it. Like where you would have physical education, you instead have whatever your major is. And there are 11 majors. I could try and list them off, but I'm not going to do that. Well, what was yours? I was a vocal major. It was just vocal. Okay, So yeah, that so was an hour and a half of choir. So where are those, all those majors, are they about instruments or are they about like different disciplines of the performing arts and vocals just happens to come up as one that you can do or? Yeah. Yeah. yeah there were tons of them. I so mean, there's like you, acting and dance and stuff. Yes. That's what the majors are. Okay, you would audition yeah. for a major and like their music majors, voice, guitar, orchestra, band, piano. Okay. But then there were also non-music based majors like stagecraft and design, theater, um, creative writing. Video cinema arts, visual arts, and that's 10 already. I'm forgetting one. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll, we'll come back. We'll, we'll grab it. <laughs> yes, but uh, in that vocal jazz ensemble, once a year, we were tasked with a, a lead sheet making assignment. And um, I was able, once a year, I got to basically take a tune, a standard, and mold it to my will and then perform it at the Mercury Cafe, which is my favorite venue in Denver, hands down. If you're ever in Denver, go to the Mercury Cafe. Gotcha. Uh, and that sort of, that, that really made me comfortable with things like improvisation and being on stage with a combo and taking liberties. Nice. That's cool to know because here I am wondering why on earth you're so interested in like meeting the jazz people here. <laughs> didn't, didn't put all the pieces together that you had that much uh, training as you were coming up before <laughs> you went to UBC, you know? So that's cool. That makes well, sense. Well, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't put it on so much on the school as I'd put it on the delightful humans I've had the honor of meeting over the past year. Yeah. And you're talking about, yeah, your peers, who you now, like you did with Jancis, right? You've now discovered, hey, I can play with these people. I'm yeah. right here. Why not? Why not? Exactly. Yeah. As long as you feel like it's a scene that is welcoming enough that you feel like you can do that, as long as it doesn't feel like it's intimidating too much, right? Totally. Like, obviously, you'll be intimidated once in a while. It's just happens to all of us right but if in general you feel like these are people who you can be friends with and get along with then you're like hey i can go out and try stuff right oh yeah the gig last friday was a step out of my comfort zone jancis was an absolute hero in being there and, and helping me get comfy on the stage it had been so long since i'd had any sort of extended solo gig like that it was a two hour long set that we put on and there were things that i thought really worked there were things that i thought that i did that didn't work which was also very informative, and things that I wish that I'd done more with. So it was like this little playground for experimentation, and it's what I'd, I'd missed since high school, basically. Yeah. So you mentioned 
DMing me. And when we DM'd, one of the first things that we talked at length about was studying music history at the undergraduate level. That's right. Which, to be honest, I haven't really done. You know, I was exposed to the class at CAP in my year that I spent there. So I saw a little bit of it, but you did that degree at UBC in the music program. You've mm -hmm. studied undergraduate music history. And we were talking about what we thought worked about how that was generally done and maybe what else we might want to see and what else we might think would be exciting that could be done if people were teaching music history that they're not necessarily doing. So if you want to try and recall whatever that you can recall and bring <laughs> it forward here as a starting point, what was your reaction to studying undergraduate music history? I should start as a preface. I deliberately did not look back at those DMs just to keep it as open-ended as possible. I'm like, I'm just, I'm down to talk. I love it. Good time. I remember feeling in music history like there was an absurd amount of disinterest despite how cool the subject matter was. And I felt that in myself. I felt that in the people that would, that would talk to me and just gruel something as neat as music history because they loved music and they loved history and they loved genre and it just it didn't seem to click why it wasn't why it wasn't really latching on to people i want to i want to start with the preface that i have no intention to sit here and slander any university experience nor ubc <laughs> <laughs> no ubc no. thank you for the degree don't take it away um i feel like it's also important to consider a degree of intention when it comes to music history and when it comes to teaching anything in general. It's one of my favorite things about exploring in education. I'm actually hosting a panel on it at BCMEA this year all about what do music teachers intend with their teaching and what is sticking with their students. So to stick on that panel for a second, I'm getting together some people at the British Columbia Music Educators Association this October, and we'll be talking about about their experiences growing up in the 2000s and 2010s in the current school system talking about what made them want to pursue music. Like, what was the light bulb moment that made them go, oh my gosh, I'm a choir kid. Or, oh my gosh, I need to teach this. We're talking like budding music educators. What was that moment for them? And then on the inverse, what did teachers that were actually teaching that intend to be that moment? What, what did they think students loved? And what's the dissonance there? What are the parallels? How can we compare and contrast those things? And how can we... How can we reconfigure our brains and update in real time with what people actually love about this stuff and what the answer to that is i don't know we'll find out at the panel That's the whole point october 21st wanna, and 22nd you're not expecting to come in and know you want to you want to learn about it yeah right yes and i feel the very same way about the way that we teach at university level same as secondary music history is just one of those things where i looked at it it felt like a collection of data about the western canon and I just started to wonder, I, it, well, I should mention it really helped that my two best friends in my early university days, their names are Eli and Haley, I still love them dearly, we would leave music history, specifically me and Eli, and Eli would be talking to me about all the history and what I thought about everything, and, and his, his brain would just be lighting up because he's a massive history buff. And he'd be comparing it to all sorts of real-world historical events. And I just listened to him after the lecture. It was like an after-show of the lecture. And I'm like, this is amazing. I'm having the time of my life hearing about how much of a rebel Beethoven was, you know? 
but oh. it just didn't strike me in the course and i'm like wow how is this how is this even happening because we're getting all of the we're getting all the data but it felt strangely disconnected from actual history so if we're going to push to the side the fact that it's very focused on the western canon which is pushing a lot to the side when i was in my university experience there was little to none that was required that was outside of the western canon of music history so i don't want to pretend like that's something that should be pushed aside but if we're going to pretend that that's all that we need it still boggled my mind that we were that we were so disjunct from the actual personalities and real world events that affected these composers like I've been looking uh, I've been studying Berlioz recently a little bit like just just from time to time I'm just I'm a I'm a normal person who's just interested in this stuff I'm by no means <laughs> an expert I've been looking at little YouTube video essays of Berlioz and Berlioz in the context of music history they said or my music history classes I remember hearing Berlioz was in the shadow of Beethoven and he was just this real sad boy, sad boy hours, who just really wanted to live up to Beethoven. He wanted to make a new symphony. And then people said, oh, no, you can't make symphonies anymore. Beethoven made all the symphonies. And then he goes, ah, but I'm going to do it anyways. And he makes the symphony fantastique. Turns out he was quite a character. Like he had these memoirs that are full of information, true information, Probably not, <laughs> but okay. he wrote them about what he intended with his pieces and his opinions on tons of people and and his plans to murder his secondary love interest. That's true. Oh, boy. He nearly crossed a border in Europe at one point with a maid outfit in his luggage to go dress up as a maid and kill his secondary love interest. Not even his first love interest that he wrote his, uh, his famous Symphonie Fantastique about, but his second love interest in cold blood. He's writing all about this in his journal, only to be stopped at the border because they were like, "Oi, why do you have a, why do you have a, a maid outfit in your, in your life?" <laughs> he's like, "Darn it!" Like that's, um, that's such an interesting little take on his character and what motivated him. Not even to get into what's actually happening in the historical context of, of Europe post Beethoven, but it was something that made me go, "Why don't I remember that from music history?" You know. And even on Beethoven, why don't I feel like one highlight of a lot of people's music history experiences in uh, post-secondary education is looking at Beethoven and remembering the Eroica Symphony, the third symphony that was originally written about Napoleon. And then because Beethoven saw Napoleon as an embodiment of the ideals of the French Revolution, he's like, that's awesome. That's what I believe. This is a hero. I'm going to write a hero symphony for Napoleon. And then Napoleon started getting a little too hungry for power and then declares himself emperor. And Beethoven goes, that's mondo uncool, my dude. I'm going to scratch out the name Bonaparte on my manuscript and write the hero. There's a, bit, a much longer name that I'm forgetting. Huh. But it became a, a, more, a more general idea of what a hero should be. That was what the symphony became about. And it also became quite satirical. Like, there are little bits that I remember working on with VSO, and I think it was Otto Tauske at this point. I was part of the University Singers. We were working with the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra doing Beethoven Symphony Number no. 3, and he was talking about all these moments where, like, you can hear the brass kind of doing, like, a noise, and that's supposed to signify, or Tausk read it as a signification of, uh, of the horses, like, taking a poop. 
when they go in. It's just like this kind of underbelly of of the march, of the armies, okay. and like trying to humanize and and demean and, and satirize a little bit what it means to be a hero and what Napoleon thought of himself. And I'm like, that's amazing. And it, there are so many little moments like that in music history that I feel like, for the sake of standardization, just get swept under the rug from time to time. So what you're saying is kind of like there when you talk about oh actual history there's so much actual history this is kind of what you mean is there's lots of interesting details that amount to fun stories that can be really engaging and that can get people interested and you're kind of saying that a lot of that isn't being presented very well or it's just not in the curriculum at all and so it doesn't end up being as satisfying of a thing because of that. Beyond that, I would say that the moments I bring forth right now were the moments that hooked me on music history. They were my light bulb moments where I go, wow, that's cool. I'm going to remember that. Narrative-based learning, which yeah. is something we talk about a lot in, in education courses. And if you're going into education, then then you will talk about in education courses, is, uh, is focusing on narratives and some teachers these days even critique, they'll crack jokes about how much focus on narratives things are getting, where it's like, oh, I can't even give a kid a grade anymore. I got to write a whole essay just to tell their parents how they're doing. Because that's what makes sense to people. It's intuitive to human beings. So it's the reason why, and, and this is going to sound like a random aside, but I realize it's the reason why I fell so in love with video game soundtracks, because there was a narrative attached to it. There was something that I remembered with that motif. And as the game progressed, watching the motif progress or hearing the different themes of different characters, it hit me so hard. And hearing those narratives at the same time as, as, as a piece, say if I'm in University Singers and I'm literally performing Beethoven's Third, that's, that's so immediate to get that story at the same time. So... um. Those light bulb moments for me were definitely focused in narrative-based learning, and I, I love it to bits. That's how I would put it. Yeah. So you'd say that there's like not enough narrative-based teaching going on to make it fun, and that it, that could be done better. I'd say that it's moving in that direction. And again, I mean, I've been, I haven't been in music history since what 20, 2019? since you graduated from UBC, or since you did the first kind of two years. Yeah. Yeah. Into the first two years. And I know it's moving in that direction, but I think that I think that in if I were to in in the ideal world wherein my egotism took over and I became omnipotent, I would reconstruct things and focus on storytelling, how everything woven, how all the composers knew each other, how they related to historical events, and what it meant to them, what were their flaws. As opposed to these like deified figures of the three Bs with Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms, we actually see what mattered to them and who they were as as human beings. I think if we focused more on that rather than focusing on, I don't know, memorizing memorizing pieces and being able being able to uh, recognize them from a thirty second excerpt and then be able to say who wrote it and hey, even I experienced what that time. on my history of jazz yeah year my one year i took of that that was included that was that was tested on yeah so then how did you feel about that like did you feel like that that struck you in an emotional way <laughs> well 
I mean, when you put it that way, yeah, it's pretty clear that <laughs> that no, no, I, I, I didn't feel like that was particularly uh, engaging. I mean, you know, you could get exposure to it to recordings that you could then go and explore more about, but then the fun you'd be having would be outside of the classroom. the The good part of your time in the classroom would just be that you got sort of a list that you could then go in and do something else with so yeah but yeah for sure a lot more fun i would say could have been had in my classroom for that mm -hmm. course and that's kind of what what you're saying is happening kind of with all history right is that if that's if that's what history is about if that's what makes it most interesting to people the the light bulb moments and the the stories that make people seem more human make the historical figures seem more human and interesting to you that the more of that's being done, the better the experience will be for the students. And it sounds like it's moving in the right direction. Totally. I, uh, and I want to say once again, I by no means want to say that there's nothing good going on in the education system or in university systems at all. I mean, th there are lots of great things. I mean, I'm, I'm here today and I definitely haven't been turned off from music. I uh, remember one other thing we were talking about in our DMs was the idea of genre mixture and like where did these lines start to blur and what does it mean especially past the 1900s where lines were blurring and that was one of the many dimensions where a lot of composers were pushing you know and i always wanted to hear more about how composers push the envelope once we get into things like jazz which is something that I really wanted to learn more about to the to the degree where I've been pestering some of my cat friends about it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I want to know where jazz and what we call classical or orchestral music or whatever, where it where it melds together because they're not separate entities. But, but I feel do you feel like they're taught that way? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the curriculum at the UBC program would be very different than the cat program and the faculty uh, the things that stick out most to them in terms of the the competency that they want the students to get is going to be different and it's going to come from very different places. So yeah, no, they're taught very differently. They're taught as two separate pools to draw from for sure. And there is this thing in jazz where there's a, a mixing of the traditions and there's some eras and some music that where that is happening and there's some of that today. Uh, and then there's the reverse where there's like jazz sounds in orchestral music, you know, like, yeah, yeah. So there, there is from both sides, it, it does happen, but they're certainly taught as, as two separate schools of thing. And that's why CAP has the music program and the jazz program, right? Both, both sides of that. So I guess Juilliard, or they would have a, a classical program <laughs> and a jazz program, you know? Really? One thing that I remember off the cuff is, uh, the way that duke ellington was kind of presented he made all sorts of suites right yeah yeah this whole series that he'd made of what at the time was pretty avant-garde yeah i want to hear more about those suites i like of course it's interesting to give the presentation of tin pan alley and how swing became a thing from classical musical theater and how that influenced jazz went into bebop but those those weird almost like artifacts of composers reaching out and being inspired by someone who you would never associate with them some of my most interesting nuggets that i've taken after the program yeah so you mentioned that you had a friend who would go on into these exciting details and you you got excited about the potential of learning about 
music historical figures by talking with your friends kind of after class at, at UBC, right? Yes, I, I have a friend. And it's it's made me an enthusiast of sorts. Yeah. That's how I describe myself. So not everybody's going to have those friends accessible at all times. You mentioned YouTube video essays about certain composers. Yeah. You also mentioned that the actual curricula are getting better. But until we have the dream music education system that uh, teaches in the most exciting way, what have you found out there? What can people go and watch or check out or listen to? You don't have to name specific shows you, or channels. You can just say, oh, I found lots of stuff on YouTube or I found a couple of good podcasts or something. But like, what, what about people who are looking for that? Like, where are they going to get it? Other than the great stories you've already launched right into this episode, where can they go find this stuff? <laughs> That's a good question. There are so many creators out there, it's impossible to name them all. And there are so many, I almost want to call them vigilantes, because since YouTube can be such a wild west of solo creators that are just making passion projects, there are just one-off people that will end up talking about the very specific person or thing or event that you wanted to know about. Like, what was Wagner doing during World War II? You'll have many different thoughts about that. I guess... I don't know. <laughs> I, I, it, it's one great way to take advantage of the um, rabbit hole focus of modern social media. Yeah. Like, or especially of like YouTube and TikTok in particular, I would yeah. say. Yeah. You look up something that you're interested in and then you can go by suggested, suggested, suggested and just go on those tangents. I implore you, if as an answer to your question, like pursue those tangents. They're worth their weight in gold. And... Honestly, I mean, I guess what made me realize it was possible was pursuing, or rather, uh, was finding people that I knew were interested in things that I loved online. There are passionate creators out there that are, I talked about my infatuation with video game music. Yeah. There are great channels out there, like well, there's one called 8-Bit Music Theory that will go through the music theory of what makes certain video game pieces work in very layman terms i can't recommend it enough and it'll go into uh, the the creator will go into historical context and what inspired the composers etc 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 and i would go on my lunch break from my retail job at party city to listen to these <laughs> video essays on my lunch break yeah. and i sit there and I, I was thinking earlier this morning i'm like okay would i have been on those lunch breaks listening to the lectures about freaking brahms I mean, probably not. When I think back about it, I probably would have wanted to go home and play Super Mario Odyssey on my Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I found those channels because I pursued those rabbit holes. And I just, whenever I was interested in something, I just look it up. TikTok is the hitherto Adonis of rabbit hole pursuit media. Yeah. I would say that, yeah. It's so easy to get roped in. And you get so many subjective takes. I'd say stop looking for the perfect take. Because I feel like we go to university assuming that we're going to get this pristine take the truth. on all the information. The truth. Yeah. Going online and seeing all sorts, like it, a truly infinite amount of takes about things can be overwhelming. And feel like, oh, well, I don't know what's right. Because you can find 
you we're past the age of wonder we can find the answer to literally anything we could ask as well as the opposite to that answer if you look up does coffee cause blindness you will find both yes and no <laughs> and it'll be it'll be overwhelming so i'd say as best as you can like try and have fun with just how many different perspectives there are and just like how um just as um questionable as Berlioz's take on his own life was um right take everything with a grain of salt and have fun with that Berlioz has been very informative to me about what it means to have fun with music history because he's just so unreliable as a narrator and it's it's so informative of his character that character then can be extended to the greater internet as well yeah the wild west out there kids so yeah you can even if you're studying something else like even if you're we're talking about the UBC jazz club like if you are pursuing some other career and then you want to just go play jazz with your friends at UBC, you can still access this kind of music history education that's fun because you can find these creators if you go down these rabbit holes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's good. That bodes well because then there's going to be some of those people who become popular and end up influencing a lot of music students around the world, like an Adam Neely kind of approach is one example, but then that influences how everybody studies music, even if it didn't come out of one particular school so the more creators there are out there that are known to people the more the students are like coming in with and then they kind of know like they they can be in their class and they can feel like oh this is this is interesting or uh or this isn't what i expected or they'll have more context it won't be just like well this is it i'm going i'm going to here and i'm going to take away whatever i'm going to take away like there is more out there and so for the people like you who are super passionate about it or me who was super passionate about learning jazz from scratch at that age like there is just an infinite amount of stuff out there for us to dig into so that that's kind of why we keep talking about how it keeps getting better because that's not slowing down so when you go to bcmea and you talk about this stuff everybody's going to have watched their own stuff that they've been interested in so you'll get you'll get different takes you'll get different opinions i'm counting on it i'm looking to get contested I mean, <laughs> I'm not looking to start a brawl, but I'm, I am hoping to kind of, kind of prick the ears of some teachers that have gotten comfortable, and just think like, if, make them go like, oh, that's not what I thought that students really found enjoyable about this. Kind of give that process a little loving kick, I suppose. I mean, it's one clinic. We'll see what it does. That's right, because you have this kind of, you have this line of of questioning that you're going to use in the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to try it with me? I can try and give you answers to those three things on the spot, probably. Three things meaning what? Wait, how many things were there? <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you referencing when you say things? You are talking about what you were going to do at, at BCMA, the questions that you were going to ask the oh, people. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, how many were there? Well, I, I think I gave two or three two? examples okay, earlier. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I just assumed it was three because that's no, like the magic number. I'll hit you. <laughs> um, hi, Will Chernoff. Welcome to the show. Yes, it's uh, your show now. Yes, thank you. This is the Danny Najar Takeover. Yeah. When was the moment in your 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 earliest memory in music education where you identified with the the term musician? Okay, so maybe just to get an idea of what you're trying to find here because I think I think we're on the same page. You're trying to find when I I started to identify as being a musician? Yes, let me let me rephrase yeah. it a little bit. Do you have a moment in your brain that you remember as the earliest moment where you felt like 
you were a musician. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have an actual gig or like an actual experience. Um, it wasn't directly tied to BCMEA, but it was tied to like a high school band festival, mm. like where New Westminster Secondary School was bringing, you know, student small ensembles to go play at the band festival and somebody couldn't make it because they were sick or something. And I kind of got pressed into service. So I got asked to like play bass in this already uh, existing group. And so I had to, you know, learn what they were going to play and try and figure out how I was going to hack my way through it. And like, that was the beginning of my whole career. You know, the people that I think there were like six people in that band, including me. One of them was a, one of them was a a 14 year old Madeline Elkins or something like that. And then there were some other people there who have been huge, hugely influential peers and mentors for me to this day. Uh, Nebu Johannes, a trombone player who splits his time between Toronto and Vancouver over the past decade, but I've recorded with him and he's, he's been such like a peer mentor to me, but they, they were there right back then. Uh, and so that was my first exposure to some of the stuff that I kept doing for the next 10 years. So when I started to actually feel like a musician was like when I got called to do that, which is like a year plus into my playing already. So I kind of played for a year and I was in band class for like almost a year before I had that. Interesting. So you were you were already playing music before you got to that moment. Yeah. So actually, to get my timeline straight, so this was in um, the winter of 2010, mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of that school year. So I had actually had a full year of band, concert band, um, and then I had had a couple months of jazz band, and then I I was one of the many musicians in the school jazz band, and because somebody else couldn't make the thing, then I got. Uh, the chance to do that in the middle of like my first year playing jazz band. But yeah, I had been playing for like, I guess a year and a half. Gotcha. Do you feel like there were any, do you feel like there were any activities that could have been embedded into the criteria or not the criteria? Do you feel like there were any activities that could have been embedded into the curriculum of the class that you were taking to sort of incite more of those, of those pivotal moments for you? Yeah. And so that's, that's where I'm really lucky. Like I, I pass your test sort of like I'm I had such a good experience that uh I like I'm going to I'm going to pass the the test of your of your line of questioning sort of because like <laughs> in the curriculum like in my jazz band with my band teacher and uh with the whole system up there at the high school like they were putting groups of us into small ensembles and finding like little gigs for us to play in the community and like obviously at the big man festival that's another thing but like we had already had the chance to play like a gig for maybe the city of new westminster or like some kind of um like lobby uh you know playing in the lobby at the massey theater before a show or something like they were finding our teachers were finding us they were off they were extracurricular right but they were like actively involved in finding things for us to do it's just i was i was down the depth chart like i wasn't one of the best bass players so i wasn't doing those things yet but the other people were like the guy who was sick when i got to do that opportunity like they they were finding those kind of opportunities for people so i guess the kind of thing that you're asking if i uh if i wished i could have done like they were actually doing it i just didn't get to do it yet because i wasn't far enough along sure was it steve clemens yeah 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 him and him and two or three or four depending on the year other band teachers all at the high school yeah nice cool well i should i should mention there's no test i'm not <laughs> oh yeah no, not a real <laughs> test <laughs> I, there's there's no right way to go through music of course but i mean 
It's interesting to me what you consider to be your pivotal moment as a musician, because for so many, being a musician doesn't involve performance at all. And for you, it seems like it was it was oh, closely tied. That's to so true. For me, it's always been all about performance, and performance has been the main part of my career. Um, I started the longest job that I had just as a performer, and then I kind of started doing other stuff with them. And I started a band, and I was a performer in the band, and the band was very live oriented. It wasn't like a a studio and and streaming and such oriented band. It was very much a festival band and a live band that that we played with. So. For me, yeah, performance is the driving force in in how I identify as a musician. Yeah, sure. And then I feel like from this conversation, like a teacher listening could go, "Oh, these guys are trying to tell me that I need to put more performance into my class." Oh, yeah, but not everybody's gonna like that. Oh no, not everyone's <laughs> gonna like that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's true. That's just me. Yeah, but I I love that for you, and I love that you were uh, you were able to get those like those uh, opportunities. And that you felt enabled to pursue those opportunities on your own, like that intrinsic urge for it. So I still haven't been able to answer the questions myself about not just for like what it means for me. I have my own answers for what music means and what I love about music and who inspired me, etc. But I mean, like that feeling of what makes you inspired by music varies so drastically between people that... There is no right answer. I don't want to even humor the idea that I have the answers, let alone a, a PhD professor out there. But the way that it ties into being a secondary teacher as well be, as being a post-secondary teacher teaching music history, there are just a myriad of things that students could grip onto. You're never going to win them all. But by, but by being silly, trying out tons of new things, and... Uh, and not being afraid to talk about the absurdities of music history and music and beyond. There's just, there's always something out there that someone will grip onto, no matter how extroverted or introverted or scholarly or meme-tastic it is. It, there's always something. And that's yeah. what I love about this field. Totally. Yeah, because my approach being based on performance, yeah, not everybody is going to like that. A lot of people are going to have other things that they prefer, like production or like lessons teaching, like working with younger people, or I don't know what else. There's there's so many different ways to, to go about it, I guess. Or like, you know, collaboration in big ensembles, because performance for me is about playing in a small group, right? Mm -hmm. There's other kinds of performance too that are very different, like singing in a choir or like playing in a big band or playing in an orchestra, right? Like that, I don't have experience doing that. That's not what I think of when I think of performance. Absolutely not. And there's so much more that goes beyond the curriculum, too. Like, since I can't say the S word, I'll call it poo-poo posting. <laughs> I myself am a poo-poo poster of music content on my YouTube channel. Yeah. At the Noteworthy Danny. And in my practicum experience, when I was doing that at the end of my education degree, I found these students in the jazz band that were so interested in meme culture. At the risk of sounding lame by just like <laughs> going into the science of meme culture, I literally do have a video essay out there about <laughs> the science of memes. Um, these students, I mean, they they shed a day and night. They were always asking, they, like this one kid would always walk up to me and be like, hey, can you play a Charlie Parker lick? And I'm like, no, I cannot. But thank you for your interest. Like they were motivated in their studies of music and jazz and they were very talented but they found lots of passion in just goofing around. And poo-poo posting 
in yeah. real time. They came, three of them came to my gig with Jancis the other day. And between the sets, one of them walked up to me. Like, three of them walked up in full suits because, of course, they were wearing full suits. And they surround me and they go, hey, can you play the Among Us lick in one of your solos? And I'm like, I can try. Yeah, or like the Mario Kart lick. That was the thing. That <laughs> Dolphin Yeah. If those existed while we were in our, you know, our certain big band where we were all really excited about that kind of stuff, maybe it happens at uh at New West Secondary School today, but they're for sure they would have like they used to like go to their our cafeteria was basically a Tim Hortons, like the the actual school cafeteria, because the grounds for our school was a two block by two block site up there, up the hill here in New West. Um, the actual school cafeteria was like further away from the band room than the Tim Hortons at the at the gas station across the street. And uh, you know, band was always either before lunch or after lunch. I think every year we were there. Hmm. So the the cafeteria of the band room was kind of that that Tim Hortons. And uh, there were lots of like kind of donuts challenges or whatever. You know, if you could like play a certain thing, then then somebody would go do a donut run, and then the people who accomplished that thing would get the donut or or whatever. So like music accomplishment, like like in playing, like if you if you incorporate the Mario Kart lick into your solo, you know, <laughs> we'll give you the. We'll, um, uh, if if you can do that, then then we'll get we'll get those people who can do that donuts. That was the thing that happened, but the, like maybe the Mario Kart lick didn't specifically exist yet. But they would they would prescribe us like kind of basic bebop licks and be like, hey, if everyone who actually inserts the lick into the solo and pulls it off, you know, you you win today's competition. That's kind of thing. wild. Yeah, man. Well, hearing that me- that memory from you uh, warms my heart so much because it takes me back to my practicum, wherein the students in the jazz band seem to have. A running competition of how much they could incorporate the lick from Among Us into it, specifically the remix lick, the bum 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 bum. That one easier, so that's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's simple. It's the beginning yeah. of a blues scale, and so like they do that every time there was a three-minute break. Like I walked in on my first day, and no, whenever there was more than two minutes, it was noodle time. Someone would go, and then I would just turn my head at them and just gaze daggers into them and they'd look at me and i'd look at them and i'd i'd just give them this look and they'd look at me like wait a minute you understand me okay <laughs> like, so that's interesting yeah the the music teacher at the school love him to pieces he's given me such a great experience in my practice his name's alex mckechnie he's a drummer local uh that's not his that's not his area of focus meme culture online me neither <laughs> and so when I heard them playing it, it was like this new connection that they'd made. And once that started to get spread around, they're like, oh, this this young guy, this 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 freaking memer who's going to be teaching us. Like in the middle of night in Tunisia that we were doing for Big Band, this one guy gets up and one day just for his entire solo just does the Among Us lick over the changes. And I... Well, I was dying on the inside. Like, I, was, I was cracking up, but I kept a completely straight face. And I just left the room. And that was the biggest win for him. Like, you could tell he was so proud of himself. <laughs> they, just, they all kept playing. They all knew what I was doing. This was like three months in at this point. And then at the final show date, which I was in the audience for, I was clapping like a soccer mom during that same solo as like a love letter. That same student played as many licks from my time in practicum as he possibly could. He had... Among Us, he had Careless Whispers, and then that went straight into the Banana Boat song from Essential Elements. Like, yeah, that was the that was his proverbial donut, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, he's stringing them together, right? Mm-hmm. It was yeah, sense of motivation. 
and to make it as as dry as possible. I mean, it made him fall in love with music. And I'm like, that's fantastic. I can't wait to see more of those moments as I go into teaching. Yeah. Yeah. I have another kind of more abstract moment that maybe is more in the spirit of your VCMEA question Please. that I just thought of. Because my moment is very kind of practical and it's like an actual thing that I did. But, you know, you could easily come back at me and say, well, come on. Like you were already playing for like probably two years at that point. Like surely something must have motivated you before then. And I suppose that's true. Um, I guess in my particular path, uh, I, I was telling you while we were refilling our cold drinks that uh, when I was a kid, I was not playing music. Like it was not an interest that I had. Um, and so at school, you know, I just kind of sailed through school academically. Like it never felt challenging at all. Um, and I, I wanted it to be. And so I would look for ways to do more or to do different things or, you know, other other projects I could take on. And, you know, fortunately, being a kid in the 2000s, like tech was a great outlet for that. Like my friends and I could like build our own websites or like build forums that, we, you know, pre-social media, pre-group chats, you know, that we could talk on or something like we could put up a web forum or something, you know, like projects, learn, learning, um, simple programming and stuff like that. We had those kind of outlets to if we were um, looking for a challenge, right? But, you know, that, you know, maybe that gave me a challenge when I was trying to do those things. And then I found out that some of my friends, they really, really dug that. And like, I, I didn't as much like that. When they got exposed to that, they found out that they could challenge themselves by like programming and doing that sort of things. And they really loved that. And I realized I didn't quite love it as much as them. And so it's like, well, if you're observing that, if I'm remembering it back now, it's like, well, I guess then I discovered that wasn't the thing for me. But then when I discovered... Um, what it was like to play instruments and to learn about harmony and learn about how to play music with other people that felt really hard um, but in an awesome way like that it was it was giving me that kind of challenge right so it was like not the first time that I ever felt challenged by learning something but it was the first time that I felt the challenge and the enthusiasm really clicking in the way that I saw my other friends get it from programming and gaming and such uh when I like within a month of picking up the instrument, I was able to realize that because then I was trying to like play along to some of my first favorite songs as a young teenager and trying to jam with other people and all that classic stuff. Right. And I was like, man, this is really hard. And I love that. It's really hard. Interesting. Wait, so uh, really quick, when you're talking about like, like, uh, was it just the act of learning music that was uh, the challenge for you or was it putting it together? Oh, like with... I could barely make the sound on the instrument. Right. Like yeah. I just wanted to, figure out how I could actually like I just couldn't move around the instrument and I was just like how am I going to do this and I was already trying to play along with songs and I just even though even really easy songs I just couldn't do so I was like what am I going to do yeah so then I just wanted to to spend as much time with it as I could and figure it out and I got that passion for learning right there now that's yeah. a really interesting perspective to me because my journey through music was basically the opposite I was like, this is something that's so intrinsically fun and interesting to me. I feel like, I felt like I could naturally go into singing and do choir. I was really loud when I was little, so my mom's just like, oh, <laughs> we gotta put this kid in the choir. On top of, uh, my finger got caught in a door when I was five. Oh. It's pretty gnarly, it's pretty sick. Um, but after it had healed up and I got my stitches, my, the doctor was like, hey, you know, it, it 
finger could benefit from some exercise, you know? And mom's like, ah, <clears throat> um, you think we could put him into some piano? And then a doctor's like, that definitely counts. And she's like, yes, totally, ah, let's yeah. do it. So piano and voice at the same time from when I was five years old. Oh, nice. And once that started to become something that I would get graded for, and I realized that without needing to sit through a grueling lecture, without needing to look through a textbook, like I could be having fun with the homework. I could be having fun because it just, it worked with my brain. I always thought in melodies and I always was singing. And so getting A's for that was such a high. I feel like being able to find what motivates a student and play to that is the most compassionate thing you can do to, to give them that opportunity to feel like they're succeeding by the sheer nature of pursuing what they want to get out of the program. And I honestly haven't heard that much from people who, who love music because of the challenge that it posed. So yeah. I was having challenges in, in all my other subjects. I managed to get by just fine. I got grades for college and everything, but the process of doing it was always focused on making that thing fun so that I would pay attention to it and I would remember it. Music, I never once had that problem with. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That is very different because, yeah, music was like discovering like the infinite challenge kind of thing. And then as soon as I discovered it, then I, I just really continued doing the minimum in everything else and not spending very much effort on you know at that point just other school academics and other obligations i had i wasn't ever really involved i wasn't enrolled in like any lessons or sports or anything like that like that was never like a, a thing for me i wasn't like i didn't have very much on my schedule as a kid so as soon as i discovered it i just i went straight in and i was like i'm gonna do this because this is like it meets what i'm looking for and then I discovered the other people out there who it also met what they were looking for. And so then we we developed together and some of those people I still play with and some of them I've recorded with. And that's that's what made it super fun. And that was that was the first time it clicked for me. And I I went so hard into that that that's been my whole life ever since. So, you know, it's possible that I could have that experience in another domain, but who knows? I'm still here. So <laughs> that sounds like such a redeeming moment like being able to play with those same people that inspired you yeah that's a it's a big it's a big deal for me uh i like to i like to keep collaborations going um for a long time whenever i can and i sure did then i was very proud of the fact that so many of us were coming out of new west and going to cap and that we already had this history playing together that was, play that was a big thing real. for me yeah <laughs> um yeah and so but yeah it was not not on the not in the cards for me at all. When I when I showed up at that at that high school here, I was not planning on on playing at all, and I, I wasn't planning on it becoming a big part of my life whatsoever. So I'm I'm lucky that it it was there and that I got to ride the wave. You know, that's amazing. I like to think that it was fun too, even for the people who weren't as passionate about playing. Like I like to think that uh, all of us were there for different reasons, and we tried to have fun with each other, even if we weren't. Uh, in a group that was a hundred percent aspiring musicians. Like I like to think that it's still our passion for it still made it fun for the people who were just there to have fun. And they certainly made it easier for us. Like we, it's, it's not really fun when you're in a room with a hundred percent hardcore aspiring musicians. <laughs> <laughs> I think case in point for that, I really relate to it because uh, Vancouver youth choir definitely has that community of people that are extremely interested in the music making 
which is the purpose of the rehearsals. But on top of that, seeing people regularly, the Discord server is always hopping. There are people in that server that aren't a part of the choir that are there as regulars. Like, I, I like to say they're a part of VYC in every way but the music part. And it's amazing to see music bringing so many people together and then watching that energy of care being contagious and bringing orbiting people into the sphere or keeping other people in the sphere. I, I absolutely see the thing that you're talking about. Yeah, and then I taught, uh, sort of taught, like I, I worked for North Shore Celtic Ensemble and they do like a multi-group, like violin youth group program, right? So then there's there's people in there um, who are really just there as a social activity, right? Um, and, you know, both the co-founders have been on this show and uh, I've talked about my time there a little bit, but the the relevant part here is that very 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 few of the of the students in that program were aspiring musicians like uh i could probably count them on one or two hands and and there's been hundreds hundreds of of students through there since uh like they since the founding like almost 25 years ago so it was there as a as a youth music group that did all kinds of things and it didn't need to have tons of future career musicians in there to to make it happen it was still just as fun and interesting for everybody with a different kind of attitude. That was important for me to see, especially because I started working there when I was 18, right after I left CAP, right? Like very different, very different kind of feeling. Yeah. Totally. And uh, that same atmosphere goes for the UBC Jazz Club at UBC. One of my favorite music spheres in the entire campus, nearly 99% not music major run. So if there's anyone out there going to UBC, you're interested in jazz? Want to dip your toe in? Attend one of their uh, weekly jam sessions? Happens like every week. You can just go in whatever skill level. I love how accessible it is. Like there's that elitism just feels like it's out the door because everyone is there from their various walks of life just to try things out and play the music they love. Like we're talking engineers and physics majors and people in econ that just want to go and play jazz. It felt like one of the one of the scenes of music that was the most free of toxicity that I've ever been in in my entire life. And I think that so much of that can be drawn back to the simple fact that they're not, I don't know, they're not pursuing music as a career. It doesn't feel cutthroat, perhaps. It feels more uh, genuine, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. There's, there can be tension in whether or not you're pursuing the career. Um, for sure for some of us like me for sure that's that's what we want and like we're gonna do it no matter what we're gonna we're gonna try it no matter what and wherever we end up we end up and it's a long journey so we keep working at it but it's not an expectation that you want to present to everybody as the thing to do for sure because not it's going to be a small minority of people who actually enjoy pursuing that yep that goes yeah. to a conversation about uh performance as the music priority as well yeah yeah so what do you want to do then? We're thinking about all this stuff. We've talked about how we like to learn and how we think things should be taught. And we've talked a little bit about you meeting the jazz people here in your generation, becoming a part of it all. Like you just finished that UBC teacher dual program with those guys. What what do you want to do next? Like where are you taking all this enthusiasm, Danny? Because you got a lot of it. You, I think, would be quite a good teacher in different formats, but I'm wondering oh, what speaks you. to you and what you've thought about you're actually going to do next because you're here. Mm. It seems like 
you quite like Vancouver and it sounds like you want to stay here and you don't you're not necessarily headed back to Colorado or anything in the in the near right. future for you, right? So what do you want to do? One of the most abstractly defining moments for me is that tomorrow I'm going to get a BC driver's license. Okay. Well, luck. Yeah. One thing I didn't know is that in order to drive, you either need basically a study permit or special permission because you're like a commuter or you're a BC resident or a work permit. Well, not in order to drive without a license. Let me actually explain why this is important. Yeah. Um, what I didn't realize is that in order to get a BC license, you need to trade in your existing license if you have one. You can't have a BC license and another license. So tomorrow, if everything goes well, I'll be trading in my Colorado driver's license for a British Columbia driver's license, some Pokemon trading card exchange, and that will sort of be a symbol of my commitment to hanging out here and exploring around here and being a teacher on call and needing to drive around and laying down roots. Laying down roots is terrifying just making that commitment to a place that you're gonna be and the people that you love and i mean after leaving home it's just been such a wild ride of moving every single year from the dorms to being a residence advisor to the pandemic and going back home it's taught me to not lay down physical roots anywhere so that i can just up and go anywhere that i need to go that my education demands of me but This year has proven to me that Vancouver is a truly special place in my heart. I don't know that I'll be here forever, by any means, but I have so many friends around here, and there's so much more to explore that I feel confident putting down enough roots that I can really make the most of it. It's been a fear of mine for a while, but I've never felt more confident than I do right now with my dear pals. Vancouver Youth Choir. I'm also going to be doing work with the Vancouver Chamber Choir, Bella Voci, Will Clements' Supervox yeah. is coming up. Um, I'd love to keep gigging, keeping in touch with my friends, just seeing what comes out from that, doing teaching. That's what it looks like for me, seeing if I can uh, toy around with the idea of a record. That's also in the works. So what's next for me, I guess, is is adventuring, seeing what's next, seeing where the wind blows, continuing to be my poo-poo posting self that I am at my core. Good, good. (laughs) And keep that going at the same time as all my standardized business that I'm doing with being a teacher on call and being a chorister. That's something that I never plan to leave behind, being uh, an educator, but on top of that, a a lifelong beginner, a friend, two friends, and, uh, and a person who loves pursuing musical shenanigans. Whether that be a record, whether that be a one-off gig, whether that be a series of gigs, whether that be uh, box B minor mass as the part of a a, a grand choir, or whether that be being on a podcast with a friend that I met over direct messages. Yeah. That's what I want to do. And we saw an epic Jazz Fest show together. Yes, sir. Spindle by Korea Wall. Oh, Spindle was You met like 15 people that day. You were going up to everybody and shaking everybody's hands that was great this isn't the first time that you came in on rollerblades <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah the the rollerblade 
route from Commercial Drive to Granville Island. It's pretty far. It's pretty sick. Yeah. Highly recommend. Speaking of routes, let's say, you know, you've got this driver's license um, and you got a car. I've spent quite a bit of time in a car driving around BC uh, with a band in particular. Is there somewhere in particular that you want to go? Is there a road trip that is on your list of something you want to do? Canada is so freaking huge. There's so much of it's a mind-boggling amount yeah. that I haven't. Specifically, seen. I would say I've spent time driving around BC. Not not every province, you know, sure. but for sure this province and some of the other ones too. But that within this province, there's still a lot to see, and uh, some mm-hmm. of those some of those can be pretty cool if you haven't seen them yet. Absolutely. I mean, I've spent so little time on the East Coast, let alone the time, uh, the the area in between. There is a road trip currently in the works with some lovely choir nerds. Just go and be nerds in various places across the second largest geographic country worldwide. Mm-hmm. So I, I do want to go driving around and, and adventure and see what catches my eye. But I suppose it's more less of a physical adventuring and more of a temporal adventuring that comes with being a teacher on call. You never know when you're going to be summoned. So having a car and having that driver's license is basically saying, all right, I'm equipped to be ready and devote myself here. Just the tools here. that you need, yeah. 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 Well, so I guess that's why the driver's license is such a huge image to me. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm a poet at heart. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, hey, I would be... You know, when you talk about what you're going to record, I'm I'm very interested to know, you know, which songs you're going to pick, whether you're going to write songs or whether you're going to pick them. And uh, I'm sure, you know, we've talked a lot about kind of the backstories and things like that. I'm sure you'll have some interesting reasons for why you pick what you do. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I didn't get to hear you at Cheesecake, etc. yet, but the next time you come up on the gig list at Rhythm Changes, I'm going to mark it down on my calendar right away. <laughs> because I want to hear it. Yeah. Well, I've got a gig and I'm not on the list. I'll be sure to give you heck for it. Please do. Yes. <laughs> well, Danny, thank you so much, my friend. It was a pleasure having you here. Stay cool. Go somewhere and cool down now, won't you? And uh, yeah, thanks again for coming over. Sir Will, you are such a tremendous friend that I've had for the past couple of months. It's been rad being on the show. Thanks for chatting with me. Once again, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you like what you hear, I invite you to become a free member today at rhythmchanges.ca. Sign up for the free weekly article. This week's article available now is a review of a jazz album called Fire in the West by Neil Swainson. It's a great album. I'd love for you to hear it. Again, go to rhythmchanges.ca and become a member for free today to become part of what we're doing. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next week.